we get to look at a lot of companies here at Tech Emergence. If you click on the research button on the menu of our homepage, all of our research is free by the way, you can see our recent consensus polls with dozens and dozens and dozens of executives in the marketing space, in the healthcare space, company founders talking about funding, all sorts of different topics related to artificial intelligence and its applications and implications in the years ahead. And these, these always involve a tremendous volume of interviews with companies. It seems you know, relatively disproportionate the number of those companies that seem to come from San Francisco. Per capita, it might be just as, if not more disproportionate, from Israel. For whatever reason, man, there's a lot of machine learning and AI companies out there. I know there's tech in general, but machine learning and AI, we just see a tremendous volume in our, our last marketing consensus, which again, you can find by clicking research on the homepage. Down at the bottom, we have all the companies listed, everybody who replied. It's very interesting to note how many were started or still have their headquarters based in Israel. The company we interviewed today is, is also based in Israel. It's called Deep Instinct. It's an uh, info security firm. Ellie David is their CTO. And today he speaks with us on the topic of deep learning and info security. Uh, deep learning specifically is kind of a, uh, an AI approach uh, to tackling info security why and how might it be relevant and in the next five years or so what are the new kinds of threats that companies will have to be aware of certainly an interesting interview to tune into if you're actively working on your own security infrastructure or if you're growing a company and you know you're eventually going to need it ellie's been in the ai game for quite some time he was working on genetic algorithms started his phd in 2005 or something in genetic algorithms, been, been in security for quite some time now, has a lot of perspective on uh, where threats are headed and what that might mean for the way that we respond to them in the future across industries. So hopefully that's useful for you folks. Again, if you want to get a sense of the breadth of companies that we've checked out in our recent research to sift through companies, maybe in info security, in healthcare, in marketing and advertising, what have you, you go ahead and click on research. Generally, you scroll to the bottom of any of our bigger research pieces, which are all free. You can see the list of companies that we've connected with. So if you want more insight on sort of where we're gleaning our conclusions from and dive in there. Research is probably by an order of magnitude of two more clicked than anything else on our menu on our homepage. Uh, so if you haven't already checked it out, please do so. Generally, the people that like the podcast are going to really dig the work that we do where we interview many, many, many more than a single person. But of course, on today's interview, we're going to be knuckling down to info security specifically. Uh, this is Ellie David with Deep Instinct. I hope you guys enjoy this one. So, um, Ellie, I know originally your background here was in the academic world, and, and as we were talking off microphone, you had mentioned that you're sort of in the neural net space before it was cool, back when people thought it was a waste of time. Then, of course, you know we had the the big ImageNet competition, and everybody is snapping up all the the deep learning experts of the world, and and now finally people are catching on that this really has a use. Um, machine vision, I think people get it. I think folks understand that you know at Amazon and Google that there's going to be some serious application for rich and robust new strategies for artificial intelligence. Why does deep learning work in the security space? How can we get folks to understand why deep learning, why multiple layers of neural networks would be necessary or work in, in that world? Let's look at the problem that we are trying to solve and deal with in cybersecurity. Now, as all of us know, 
there are a huge amount of new malware created every single day. Actually, the number, the conservative estimate is about 1 million new malware every single day. In practice, it is probably much more than that. But if, when we look at these new malware that are created every single day, we see that vast majority of them are extremely small and simple mutations over previously existing uh, malware. And even those brand new families, nation state APTs, even they are far from being brand new. On average, a so-called completely brand new family of malware is between 10, 20, at most 30% different from previously existing code and uh, malicious concepts. And Eli, so just, just to, not, to, not to interrupt, but I, I do want to make sure the audience understands, you said nation state ATP, just to clarify the terms, what do we mean by that? Do we mean malware created by government agencies to tap information in other ge- government? Is this what nation state sort of implies? I just want to make sure that people understand. That's the correct definition. During okay. the past few years, uh, several uh, extremely sophisticated uh, malware families have been uncovered. They have been attributed to various uh, nation states. So these are considered, again, by attribution, some of the most sophisticated malware families, completely yep. brand new. Got it. But after they are detected, usually stumbled upon, and they're manually analyzed, we do see that they are far from being brand new. They're 10% different, 20% different. So everything is mutation of one another. And if you look at this whole cybersecurity world, we see a gradual evolution. There are no jumps, no revolutions, just a gradual evolution. But despite this, so after I'm saying this, it may sound and it should sound that detection should be easy. They're all mutations. However, all these mutations, even the simplest mutations, most of them go undetected by currently existing detection methods, including those methods who use advanced machine learning, traditional machine learning. They use heuristics. They do not detect them. So to understand why the current solutions that we have don't detect them, and why deep learning would detect it, let's use an analogy from computer vision. Imagine that you hold a bottle of water. You put a bottle of water on the table and you take a photo of that. And you show this photo to a traditional uh, computer vision module. Any good traditional computer vision module should detect that this is a bottle of water. Now, take the bottle of water, grab it in your hand, and take a photo of that such that your fingers are partially obstructing this bottle of water. Let's say they're mutating the image. If you take that photo and show it to any traditional computer vision module, it will not detect it. No traditional computer vision module, even those using best image processing and best traditional machine learning, they will simply not be able to detect it. Because all of the traditional methods rely on the extracting a few high-level features. By just a small change in the input data, in the raw data, we can completely evade detection and make the high-level representation be different. If you take the same photo of a bottle of water uh, in your hand with your fingers obstructing it and upload it to Google Photos, with very high confidence, it will say it's a bottle of water. Even if you take a photo of the leg and tails of your dog, like I did a few days ago, and upload it to Google Photos, there's a good chance that not only it will detect it's the dog, but also what's the breed of your dog. So what we see using this illustration in computer vision, but similarly in speech recognition, text understanding, is that deep learning is very resilient to changes and mutations and variants. It is enough for deep learning to see a small part of the data to correctly generalize and reach the correct conclusion regarding what it is seeing. 
So for the same reason, deep learning should work here. And that was actually the hypothesis based on which we founded our company three years ago, that deep learning would be resilient to all these uh, changes and mutations and even a completely brand new family of model, which is just 20%, 30% different. Deep learning would see through it, would see that most of the data is the same, would see the patterns and correctly detect it. The results show that it does provide 20 to 30% higher detection rate, deep learning, in comparison to traditional machine learning and heuristics. So for the same reason that deep learning provides the big improvement in vision, for the same reason it provides a big improvement in uh, cybersecurity and malware detection. And just for clarity too, and I, I think folks will be most familiar with the image kind of applications of deep learning, probably because that was some of the biggest headlines in this space in you know 2012, but also because of the, the visual nature thereof. It's easier for us to say, hey, look, a computer tagged this as a man riding a bicycle than it is to talk hypothetically about detecting malware stuff that nobody can really visualize. Everybody knows what a man with a bicycle is. It's amazing if a computer can figure that out. For malware, it's a more abstract notion to grasp. So I'm glad we were able to, to make that jump. Just for my knowledge, Ellie, and for the people listening in, you'd mentioned even these nation-state-created malware families, as you had called them, are really just adjustments of other existing malware, slight adjustments, you know, 10, 20, 30%, or what have you. What is sort of being adjusted, just for, again, for the, the schooling of the people at home who are not in, in this industry like you are, is what's being adjusted sort of the way that they're breaching a network, the, the way that they're phishing for passwords, the code in, with which they're written, the file type with which they are sent out? What is adjusted and tweaked to create a, as you called it, mutation of a malware? What are those factors that are adjusted to create these new kind of you know, malware animals, so to speak. When you would like to attack and compromise a high-value target, a large company, big companies, that usually they are the victims of more sophisticated attacks, the attacker needs a method to get through, get inside the network, usually by attacking endpoint, a computer, somewhere. And then after that first step, uh, propagate, infect more computers, reach interesting information, then they have to gather the data somehow, and then usually they would like to exfiltrate the data somehow. Now, for each of these steps, of course, these are the high-level steps. There are more uh, steps in between. There are a limited number of concepts for how the attack can take place. And the unfortunate fact is that, from the unfortunate from the defender's point of view, the fortunate from the attacker's point of view, is that the attackers do not need to have innovations for each and every step. Usually it is enough that just in one of these steps, even you don't need to innovate, you just do something slightly different than previous ones, previous malware, and you go undetected. It sounds absurd, yeah. but that is the fact today. Huh. You have detected exact malware that does exactly the same thing. In one of the steps, you just slightly tweak it again. I'm putting the emphasis on tweaking, yep, yep, innovation. Yep. Yeah, and yeah. usually it's enough to get through detection by all traditional methods today. And out of curiosity, do you think that in the future, uh, let's say you know two, three, five years into the future, do you think that more wholehearted overhauls of malware, real innovation from the ground up in malware, will be required in order to get past systems 
that are leveraging, let's say, deep learning and can maybe pick up on more patterns, more kind of really subtle, borderline indetectable features and commonalities, when that becomes more of the norm on the defense side, you know, more companies aim to do something like what you folks are doing. I know you guys are, uh, you know, one of the first to the party here. Do you think that more innovation and malware will be required in terms of bigger revamps and overhauls, not just tweaking? What we see in the world of malware creation and new malware is, again, it's a gradual evolution. It's a gradual evolution when you look at the day-to-day or week-to-week progress. But if you look at it from the point of view of what happens in several years from now or what has changed now from several years ago, you do see a big leap. So even though it's evolution, it is quite uh, measurable magnitude, the evolution. So we do expect, and we already see them, that the attacks would be more sophisticated, not in the sense that there are more new vectors of attack or new components. But we already have millions of different vulnerabilities and exploits and ways to use them. We see that the more advanced malwares, they combine them together. They take one building block from here, another building block from there, and they create more and more advanced, more sophisticated malware, much more difficult to detect. Just a good example is ransomware. Until just recently, we were used to seeing ransomware attacking users at home and encrypting the computer, wanting some a few bitcoins, and that's all. Now, in the past few months, we see a, a staggeringly expanding trend that large companies are attacked, much more sophisticated the ransomware attacks, also targeting their backups, which would make it much more difficult for them to deal with it. Again, all of these components in their own are well known. But the combination of all of them makes the attack much more sophisticated and much more difficult to detect and deal with. So this is definitely the trend that we see that's going to become worse in the next few years. And so the detection and prevention methods need to be improved by orders of magnitude. We think that the signature-based systems are completely irrelevant for detecting new things. Heuristic-based ones in traditional-based solutions are managing to detect a bit more than signature-based ones, but they also missed uh, many of the new attacks. So we do need to see big improvements on defender side to keep up with the big improvements on the attacker side. Yeah, I guess, and, and that's the perennial issue here in security, as I've heard time and time again interviewing you know companies in this space, is if you really figure out how to estimate customer lifetime value or adjust the way that you do your upsells or something like that in an e-commerce business, there's a chance that there might be three or six months where you more or less keep that exactly as it is. I mean, some minor adjustments, but there's no panic reason to really change too much. In cybersecurity, you know, you're directly and maliciously being acted upon by other parties who have an easier job destroying than you do defending uh, or creating, as is the nature of those two. And so there needs to be so much more to keep up with. What do you see as kind of trends in the next you know, half decade here on the threat side that really, maybe let's not say keep you up at night, but what are the threats that you consider to be most serious for businesses who take their security seriously uh, in the coming you know, five years or so ahead? What are, what are the, the bigger trends? You mentioned ransomware. That's maybe a minor kind of example. What are those bigger trends and changes in the landscape that you think we've really got to start catching up to if we want to, to defend our companies? Sure. First of all, regarding the, just the point regarding what you mentioned, 
we see a good comparison, by the way, comparing North America to Europe. Europe being more conservative, more slow to change. We do see that just now they're changing and understanding the need for more advanced APT protection solutions. Until a few years ago, most of them did not understand the need for much more advanced uh, protection. In North America, we see that the trend started much earlier. And so all of the world, all the Western world, need to quickly move to more and more advanced protection and protection solutions. And we see that at different paces in different areas. Regarding the kind of threats that emerge and we see, many more focused attacks on large companies. We see very focused, sophisticated attacks on Fortune 500 companies. Some kind of attacks that we were used to see were just attacking everyone, attacking many companies and hoping to get what they want from one or two of them. And this kind of attack, usually when you are the malware developer and you attack too many people, then you exponentially increase the risk of your malicious component being detected yeah. and blocked. Yeah. What we see nowadays is completely targeted attacks. They tailor make it to a, for a certain victim. And most of the time, they do manage to get inside. And when they do get inside, we see more sophisticated cases of ransomware. We do expect to see that in the future. But again, most of the attacks focus on obtaining data, exfiltrating data for various reasons. Uh, I guess we, we every week, on average, we do see the name of a very respectable company, the big headline that uh, tens of millions of uh, records were leaked, they were hacked. For each one that we do see such a headline, there are others that we do not see them. And many of these companies fall victim to targeted attacks to new mutations of malware that are mutated specifically for them. And the traditional methods are completely useless and uh, have no chance standing against these kind of attacks. And that's why we see a rapidly uh, accelerating pace uh, amongst the uh, security teams in these big companies beefing up their security using more advanced protection methods to be able to markedly increase their chances of uh, mounting a defense against these kind of targeted attacks. Huh. In terms of what companies maybe should be thinking about or doing now, is there anything in terms of sort of initial preparatory work, maybe big loopholes that you see in existing security infrastructure across kind of companies that maybe you work with or just know of, you know, through the industry? Are there sort of big gaps that you think maybe are first things to plug up or really think about for, for some of the business folks who are tuned in right now? The first thing that many of companies are already changing it and doing it rapidly, some of the others are following more slowly, is to understand the paradigm shift. We used to have a protection solution. All the companies have an antivirus. Nowadays, we do understand that an antivirus is a good solution for protection against currently existing malware yeah. and previously existing malware. It is not a solution that is meant for detecting new malware. Even if you have the best antivirus, it is meant for detecting current solutions. They do need different solutions that are focused on detecting new malware, new previously unknown attacks. And the way they do that, which is the correct way, is they look into what are the most advanced APT protection solutions against unknown. They do POCs in their own laboratory, they create sophisticated laboratories, they test different solutions side by side as far as their detection rate, false positive rate, and through this process they reach an educated decision 
as to what solution best suits them. And we do see most of the large companies are in different phases of this process. They do this kind of test and acquiring uh, more advanced solutions, and they are increasing their chances of being protected against such attacks. It sounds like, for the most part, the people who need to be concerned about dealing with new targeted mutations here, variations, would likely be companies of a substantial enough size or grandeur or monetary value or something, right? I mean, my, my supposition is most people who run you know, a two-person or even a 20-person software as a service company here in San Francisco may or may not need at this point or be able to afford something that protects them against all the new variations. I take it this is for people who have enough at risk? Is that a proper assumption or maybe am I reading that wrong? You're correct. It is a, a function of the incentive of the attackers. Yep. Of course, the trophy is bigger in uh, bigger companies. Yep. So that's why they are the target of uh, more sophisticated attacks. But we do see also attacks against uh, medium-sized companies or not that large companies because uh, usually they are much less protected. Oh, yeah. So many times the attackers decide, well, I don't want to attack this company which has 100,000 endpoints because probably they have many more layers of defense. So instead, I will attack this other company with just 2,000 endpoints because probably they just have an antivirus and a firewall. And so in a matter of a day, I would be inside and do whatever I want to do. Yeah. Uh, so they are easy prey. Yeah, got it. So it's probably, you know, the, the, for the people tuned in, I mean, it's probably a, a conversation you'd really want to have with, with an expert, but it sounds as though obviously bigger trophies, bigger rewards, but still there's, you know, quote unquote, smaller companies where the, the risk is still there for new malware and not just the older stuff that antivirus protects us from. We're just a little bit over time, but Ely, I sincerely appreciate you being able to share your perspective on data security with us and share some of your insights in the Tech Emergence podcast. So thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. That wraps up today's episode here on the Tech Emergence Podcast, and thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to stay in touch with our latest interviews with C-level executives and top researchers and thinkers in the domains of AI and the intersection of technology and intelligence, then make sure to subscribe here on iTunes. Or visit us on our main website at techemergence.com, where you can see all of our interviews broken down by category, as well as articles, news, market research, and trends in artificial intelligence. If you found this episode particularly thought-provoking, feel free to leave your thoughts in a review here on iTunes, or you can feel free to reach out to us at our main website. Thanks, as always, for tuning in, and I'll catch you next week.